looking for the King of Podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars however none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons but I do have a little suggestion for you SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, 
they obtained autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises, whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have. SignatureHorror.com That's right, SignatureHorror.com This is Howard Berger from KB Effects Group Inc., and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey, folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. guest has well over 800 feature film and television credits to his name that include films such as Kill Bill both 1 and 2, The Green Mile, The Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, Nightmares 4 and 5, and New Nightmare. Just many many credits across all genres. In 2006 this guest has won an Academy Award for Best Makeup for The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as well as winning a British Academy Award for Best Achievement in Makeup for the same film. This guest also was an Emmy Award-winning makeup effects artist with his team from K&B Special Effects Group for making the best prosthetic makeup for the well-known and well-loved AMC hit television series, The Walking Dead. He also was an Emmy-nominated special effects guy for his work on Bryant Cranston's prosthetic age makeup. It was used during the final season of the Breaking Bad series. He is one of the co-founders for K&B Special Effects Group in California there. This guest Howard Berger. Welcome. Uh, first you. and foremost, how's I know we talked about this last week or mm-hmm. whatever it was when we chatted with you during the watch along, but how's right. uh, work and everything with the COVID-19? It's good. I mean, I, I was, yeah, I mean, we're back to work now. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of different protocols and, and um, you know, we have to be really, really careful, but it's, uh, it's good. It's just different. You know, it's, it's, everything takes a lot longer. Um, it's, it's harder, uh, to get shit done, (laughs) but you know, it's production understands that. And, uh, uh, it's, it's also probably a a lot of, a lot of things that needed to change in our industry, you know, that have been, been coming for a long, long time and, and just didn't have the reason to do it. And now we do, but you know, with, between all the testing, which, you know, once there's a vaccine and, 
you know, I think that this is going to go on for at least another year as far as, you know, people just being very careful and all and masks and so forth. But I think once that is gone, we'll still maintain a lot of the same protocol uh, in terms of being, being very careful and cautious and, and probably, you know, less people on set, uh, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's good. I'm not, I'm not opposed to what's happening and, and what the, the, uh, you know, the domino effect is of, of what we're, what we're dealing with. So, um, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's just different, you know, but I mean, in, in the world of makeup, what we do, it, it, it's part of our job to be, you know, hygienic and be very careful and, and uh, make sure we're always working in an extremely sterile and disinfected environment. So it wasn't anything new to us. Um, of course, when COVID hit right away, the studios and producers were freaking out like, oh, what are we going to do about hair and makeup? And I'm like, we're the least of your worries because this is what we do. <laughs> we're trained to do this. So, and so far, knock on wood, on any of the shows that are happening right now, all over the world, actually, um, there is, there's been no issue with hair and makeup, which has been great. That's a beautiful thing. Are it you is. mostly uh, in the shop currently? No, I'm, well, it's back and forth. You know, I, I, we opened K&B about three months ago and very, very safely and, and very few people. And, um, uh, and then we, you know, I had a show that I, I needed to go back to that, that uh, this thing called Them that we were shooting for Amazon. And we were, we were like two weeks out from wrapping and we had another episode to do in New Mexico. So when they felt it was safe, we went back and did that. That was my first show back. And then I had a couple weeks in the shop and now I'm back on Orville. So um, we haven't started shooting, but, but we're prepping. I started prepping last week and I was over at Fox Studios where we shoot the, the TV series. Today, getting things set up and organized and we start shooting uh, the first week of uh, December. Well, with all the changes, like you said, that's been going on, is it a studio by studio case or is it coming down from the state and local official? No, it's, it's a studio by studio. I mean, the state has has its recommendations. And this is the thing, too. It's all about it's the recommendations. There's no laws. You know, there's there's it's all it's all, um, you know, what the what the unions recommend, what the producers recommend, directors, studios and so forth. And, and everybody's. Every studio is different, which is interesting. It, it it's kind of makes it difficult in that way because um, nobody's on the same page. I mean, the, the one thing everybody wants to do is avoid getting sick and having people get sick, which then will cause a shutdown. But um, it would have been it would have been helpful if there was like a document and everybody followed that document. But you know, Sony's um, protocols are different than Fox's. Than they are at Disney. Than they are at you know, Warner Brothers, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a little, it's a little confusing sometimes, and you have to argue your point from time to time. Well, do you think everybody can get on the same page eventually? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I have very little hope. Uh, I mean, it's the protocols, the, the, pro, the recommend, recommended protocols are relatively the same. I mean, it's all this, it all ends at the same, you know, at the end of the path. But it's just like some studios require, you know, like gloves and masks and face shields. Some studios are don't require the gloves, which that's been my uh, one of my big things is I, we don't need to wear gloves except when task appropriate. 
um, because I think there's a, a major misconception where people think like, oh, if you're wearing gloves, everyone's going to be safe. In actuality, the only person that's going to be safe is the person wearing the gloves. But, you know, you're, you're constantly needing to change your gloves every single time you touch something. So I always apt for, um, you know, hand washing. There's nothing better than hand washing and then yeah. using hand sanitizer and all that stuff. But um, plus, I, I'm concerned about the footprint that all this is going to leave. I mean, I could easily go through a, a giant box of uh, rubber gloves a day. Yeah. And that's just going to pile up. Same with masks, same with this, same with that. So it's, you know, it's also been a, a huge, um, uh, a huge task to find uh, like the perfect mask and the perfect goggles. And the, I mean, I've bought so much stuff <laughs> and some of it, I'm just like, eh, this, this was kind of a fail. Um, you know, even with UVC light, which I bought some things, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure if it works because it's there. I don't look at like, I don't put like my brushes that are, and I see like stuff all over them and put them in the UVC box and then they're clean. I have no idea. I'm just hoping that it works, you know, but it's, it's a good secondary disinfectant. Well, I was still not reading over the weekend and all, cause we were supposed to talk on Monday, but mm -hmm. things happen. Yeah. yeah. And I uh, saw that your father was in the industry. What did he do? Yeah. He was, he was a post-production sound editor. So he owned a company called B&B Sound Studios for, I mean, forever and ever. And I remember as a kid going to his little one-room studio. It was over at, at uh, ABC on, um, on uh, Vine and uh, uh, Sunset and Vine. And I loved it there. It was so much. It was magical to me. I mean, he had this little room, but the rest of the place was this full working facility. It's where they shot the dating game and... The, the newlyweds and all those Chuck Barris uh, TV shows from the, from the 70s and so forth. And so, um, and they also shot um, uh, Barney Miller there on Thursday night. So to me, growing up in the industry was, I just figured these were, this was like normal. Like I figured the cast of Barney Miller came to everybody's house, you know, and hung <laughs> out. Or Chuck Barris always came by your house and hung out or you know, my dad was friends with all these people and I just took it for granted that this was a normal thing. Um, and, and my dad was friends with all of them. Like I, I remember on Thursdays is when they shot Barney Miller and afterwards the entire cast would come to my dad's studio and they'd all sit around and drink the rest of the night. And, and, you know, I was there because my mom was working and, um, my dad's, uh, like, um, uh, runner would pick me up from school and bring me there and I'd hang out with my dad until we had to go home. And, but every Thursday night was the entire cast of Barney Miller, you know, Hal Linden and Abe Vigoda and, you know, Ron Glass. And, and I just thought that was normal. So growing up as a kid living in LA and being a part of that industry, I thought watching movies in your house was normal because we had a screening room. And um, I thought everybody watched movies at their house in 35 millimeter. And, but my parents were very, very supportive, you know, and my dad, especially because he loved movies. He loved horror films and, that's where I got my whole, you know, my whole take on it, of course. You know, he would wake me up, you know, when I was a kid and like, hey, Night of the Living Dead's on and you've never seen it. And don't tell your mom, but let's go in the living room and you can watch Night of the Living Dead. So, you, you know, that's a classic line. Don't tell your mother. Yeah, don't tell. Yeah, my mom didn't know about a lot of movies I watched. And I remember my dad showed me uh, Dr. Fives has risen from the grave and it scared the hell out of me. And the night after, or the night I watched it, I sat in bed screaming. I remember screaming and crying because I was so horrified by a couple images. 
And I remember my mom coming in and yelling at me. She's like, you're never going to see another horror film as long as you live. This is it. So, But fast that, forward all those years, you end up yeah, working I mean, on so many. Yeah, yeah. It's less like, hey, I guess I ended up seeing a lot of horror movies. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, no, they, I was really lucky because my folks saw that I had a, a keen interest in this and, and I had talent and, and uh, they, they let me run with it. And, and uh, yeah, it was really, really good. It was really good. Now, when you take your script from a, a job, potential job through K&B, yeah. what do you guys look for in terms of going through the script and well, making when, your when proposal? I, yeah, when I read a script, I, you know, I'll read it and I'll, I'll highlight it. I'll highlight things I see that I think are that fall into our world that are like, you know, makeup effects or specialty makeups or animals or, or just whatever, you know, and I'll just kind of highlight it and. And then I'll, I'll put a, a breakdown together. So I pull all the, everything I've highlighted out into a document and then kind of think about what the costs are. And I don't really reveal the costs at first. I just kind of like, like to talk through with the producer and the director, what they think things are, because my, my impression of things could be different than their impression. You know, like I might say, you know, there's some sort of guy and he's got giant eyes and he's da, 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 da. So I'm like, okay, well, it'll probably be this, this, and this. But then when I talk to the director, he might think it's bigger or he might go, oh, you know what? That's just creative writing. It's just like we're going to cast it after with larger eyes or what have you. So it's good to get that. And, and then once I have my initial meeting, then we um, uh, I'll go back and I'll work up a budget uh, and figure out how much things are going to cost. And then that gets submitted to the production. And then that's really what, you know, it comes down to, you know, discussing that and if they can afford it or you know, um, there's always a negotiation, you know, but for me also, I want to make sure that it's going to be a fun project and that I'm interested in the project. So when I first have my first meeting, I can kind of smell if it's going to be dodgy or not, you know, and if I, if I have a bad gut feeling, then I don't, I don't run with it. I'm just kind of like, ah, I think I'm good. And I'll just call them and go, Hey, you know what? Thank you so much, but we're really busy right now. Um, but, but, you know, it's important for me to have a good time. Like I don't want to, I don't want to be involved with anything. I don't want to spend all that time and effort on something that I don't feel that I believe in and that I don't think is going to pay off in, in, in the sense of just being a, a good movie and a fun experience. So, you know. Now, obviously there's been a lot of changes over the years between practical and CGI. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you keep that balance for what you guys do? Yeah, well, it's it's actually really easy, you know. We we've become really great friends with all the VFX companies and supervisors and producers and 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 vice versa. And we really look towards them to, uh, you know, uh, in, enhance what we do and vice and same with them. You know, they we both use each other as, as a tool. So there's there's things we can't do. So we go right to VFX and like, hey, you know what, this might. I feel like this is kind of like more of a VFX thing. And then they'll say the same thing. Like, no, we, if we can do this practical, it's going to save a ton of time and money and probably look better. Or then we work hand in hand. Like, you know, a good example is, um, you know, the amazing Spider-Man 2, the makeup on Jamie Foxx's Electro. So Jerome Chen, who was the visual effects supervisor with Sony, um, came to us and said, listen, we, we, we could easily just, or not easily, we could just go the route of doing tracking marks on, on Jamie Foxx, but that's just going to be so much work digitally and, and we just don't have the time and money to do it. It would be great to have him in a full prosthetic makeup and we can just enhance that makeup. And I'm like, that sounds great to me. And that's what we did. So, you know, Greg Nicotero, who co-owns K&B with me, the both of us, um, 
have really, really uh, nurtured our relationship with VFX companies and, and, uh, and, and, and love working with them. You know, whenever I get hired onto a big effects one, I always ask like, who's your VFX supervisor? Because we need to talk to them in order to figure out really what we're going to do and what they're going to do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's when Jurassic Park came out, that kind of changed the, the face of how we dealt with things. And we really thought like, Oh God, we're going to be in trouble here. And, and uh, they're not going to need this anymore. But we then started to see that that wasn't the truth. And, and same with them. And it became, it just became a, a, a great working relationship. We, we both had to work together and, and I enjoy it. I love, I love working with VFX. It's, you know, I might have an idea and I'm like, I can't really, I can do a portion of this in makeup, but it'd be great if VFX could then enlarge their eyes or, you know, make that smile bigger. And they're like, yeah, no worries. Or if I have a, a, a bad edge or something like after the actor has been in a makeup for 14 hours and sitting in his trailer and I'm like, ah, oh, God, this looks really bad here. I'll go to VFX and go, Hey guys, can you just keep an eye on this? And it might need a little, a little VFX love. And they're like, absolutely. We'll, we'll put it down and make sure it happens. And, so, you know, it's a, it's a good partnership. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Jamie there as far as the full body makeup and stuff like that. Do you have, have you had anybody have a complete meltdown? Cause that is such an intensive process. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. I mean, I've had a couple people that didn't enjoy it, you know, with Jamie, again, just re referencing Jamie Fox, who by the way is an amazing, magnificent person. When we uh, were about to start the show, I took all the artwork to Jamie's house and I, and I showed him, I said, this is what we're thinking about doing. And this is how I'm going to do it. So I just need you to understand and be on board because if, if you're not on board, then I don't think this is going to work out. And then Jamie looked at everything. He's like, no, Howard, I'm totally in. This is great. I can hardly wait to do it. And he, he committed himself to it. You know, same with like Anthony Hopkins when we did Hitchcock. You know, Tony was in a huge makeup for 35 days in a row and he, he went with it. I mean, it's, 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 those are the real true professionals, you know, and, and it's great to work with real professionals. I've certainly had people that um, are not professional that are actors. They're mostly young people and they're, I don't even know why they're there, tell you the truth. Um, and they just kind of, you know, I don't know. It just baffles my mind the way things go and, and, um, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's where it gets in the trouble. Like, oh, I don't want to wear this or they, they cry or something. And it's just because it's, they just have whatever issues and they bring them to the trailer. And I'm just like, this is, I'm over this shit. <laughs> so I, I'm always looking forward to working with a real actor, not these cry babies who just, you know, whatever aren't, don't, don't give their all for the part. It's like, you know, I'm, I bring a hundred percent and I need them to bring a hundred percent. And when they don't, it's a big problem. And that also can ruin a makeup and a performance. So, yeah. Now, obviously what you did there with, uh, and you've worked with a lot of guys mm -hmm. on multiple occasions, Mark Wahlberg and Jamie yeah. and Hopkins and Robert England yeah. and whoever, is that the biggest thing you notice when working with somebody trust? Yes. Where you can. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. Trust is, is everything, you know, and I have to let, I have to have the actor trust me but I have to trust the actor as well, you know, in, in taking care of the work that I've done and bringing the performance to life. I mean, I, I look at myself as, as, as I'm an element 
and a, or a, uh, a tool for the actor to use, you know? And I always specify that. And I always want the actor's involvement in, in the design to some degree, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like on Hitchcock, Tony was very involved and I kept doing, we kept doing test makeups and we talk about what worked and what didn't work and what he thought might be good. And, you know, and there was a couple times I was like, I was really kind of headstrong about it. Like, he, Tony has blue eyes, but Alfred Hitchcock had brown eyes and I was really fighting Tony and wearing contact lenses and Tony at first didn't want to. And he's like, oh, I think it'll be fine. And, and I was like, I, you know, I just don't feel, I feel like we're missing a, a piece of the puzzle here. And I said, let me just make some lenses and let's just try them in a test. And if you don't like them, then we won't have to go that route. But at least I, at least I tried, you know, mm-hmm. and at least you tried and he agreed. So I made lenses and I put them in and he went, Oh my God, you are so right. This is, this brings it to life. Like you're right. And I said, yeah, you know, to me, every makeup is complete with lenses and hair pieces, you know, and we had a hair piece on Tony and, and of course, full prosthetics. And, and I just needed to have that, those lenses in and, um, and it worked out great, you know, and, and Tony, Tony trusted me uh, and I trusted him of course. And, um, you know, but yes, you're right. It's, it, there's a big, big, uh, level of trust. And I, I'm good with actors. I'm really good. I've had actors get in a chair that are completely claustrophobic and freak out. And I talk them off the ledge. I just had one recently, this, this poor girl um, who wasn't uh, told exactly what her, what she was going to be doing. She was just a day player, but I had this big makeup designed and, and, um, and in the middle of the makeup, she started to freak out. And, you know, I just, I just held her hand. I said, listen, let's go for a walk. You know, let's go take a walk around this lot. And so we went and took a walk and we talked about other things, talked about our kids and all that stuff and got back to the trailer. And I'm like, okay, I said, you know, just don't think about what I'm doing. Don't think about like, I've got my, my, this piece on and I'm gonna, I said, you're going to get out there and people are going to go, holy shit, that is a badass makeup and you're doing a great job. And I said, that's going to be the pay, the payback for you, you know, that you're going to be a super memorable in this scene. And, and she calmed down. She did a great job and took, them, took her out of the makeup as soon as I could. And she was very thankful. And she's like, I'm not claustrophobic anymore after that. And I've had that happen, happen with several actors who were like, I'm totally claustrophobic. I'm like, well, you won't be after this. You know, we're going to get over the hump. So it's, it's a matter of understanding the psyche. Um, I mean, I've put myself through makeups and I've put myself through life casts and to make sure I know, you know, how they feel. I, I have, a long time ago, I was, had a life cast done, and and um, and that's where you take the impression of the actor's head, you know, so you can do the makeup, and you're covered in like this oatmeal stuff and and encased, and and I started to get my mindset that I was freaking out, and I freaked myself out because I wanted to feel what the panic was like, and I felt so panicked, but then I understood this is how they feel, so I can be more sensitive about it instead of like, oh come on, you know, it's be like, okay, you're good, and you know, we'll talk the actor through it and hold their hands and. You know, but for the most part, they're, they're normally fantastic and great partners. I've, I've worked with thousands and thousands of actors, and I'd say there's two actors that I would never, ever work with again who were just terrible people. But every other, everybody else was quite amazing and wonderful, and, and I cherish my working relationship with them. So. Yeah, and like you said, certain people being claustrophobic and everything. And you, on the other side, you have somebody like a Robert England who is mm-hmm. – Yeah. I'm not – I love the guy, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, dealt, with him on a, dealt with him on a couple of times here, but he's just the opposite where, yeah. you know, I heard yeah. Kevin Yeager would say just headlock and yeah, all that. that's it. Yeah. Kevin just said, just, just go about your business and, 
yeah, just hold his head. Well, he doesn't pay attention. Robert's talking to, you know, he's, he's concentrating on talking and telling a story and you just go with his flow. And, uh, I, you know, I think that's what I said when I did your, your, uh, the, the Freddie, uh, uh, inter- or the Freddie thing, um, couple weeks ago but yeah i mean the first time i did robert england as freddie was four hours and the last time i did robert england as freddie was 45 minutes so i i really learned to just ignore robert and just <laughs> get the job done because robert will talk incessantly and never stop and get up and have to perform and do this and that i mean we ended up i ended up having to move into just a separate trailer because in the beginning of the show we were sharing a trailer with the whole makeup department and all the actors. And every time somebody came in, Robert had to entertain. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like I got to have Robert sit at least for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we, I'm like, let's move into a different trailer. And, and that way I could just have his, his, uh, you know, his undivided attention, which of course still he's exactly. you know, yabbering on and on and on. But that's, that's part of what I love about Robert England. I mean, he's such a outstanding person. He's one of my favorite guys to work with. I mean, I, I haven't done a makeup on him in decades, but boy, I had such a great experience with him. He's just a really lovely guy. Yeah, well, like I uh, told you before we started, we were talking with uh, Brooke Thies this morning. Yeah. And we, you would know the name as well that we brought up with her, Screaming Mad George. Oh, yeah, yeah. What can you tell us about Screaming Mad George? Because he's well, such a unique guy. He's very unique. I mean, I haven't seen George in probably 25 years or maybe – yeah, maybe 30 years, <laughs> but George was a very unique guy. I mean, he kind of came on the scene. He was really broad and, you know, makeup and had like these Japanese uh, carpent- carpenter shoes, which to us, we just called them Planet of the Ape shoes because they look like the shoes that like Cornelius wore. And um, he's just a really broad sort of guy, but he always thought like really, really outside the box. And I worked with him at Stan Winston's on Predator. That was the first time I met him. And then we, we worked on uh, Bride Reanimator together. Uh, he, you know, th- they split up all the effects. So like K&B was doing the bride of all the bride effects and some other stuff. And then George did all the stuff at the end of the movie with all the crazy whacked out stuff, which is right up George's alley, all the surreal stuff. And then, uh, and then I worked with him on, on Nightmare 4. Um, where he did the whole thing with Brooke, with the uh, cockroach and all that stuff. And, and I thought it was super cool. I mean, I was like, I, I liked working on that movie because I just had to deal with Robert. You know, I didn't have to do any other effects stuff. And I kept like watching what all the guys were doing. I'm like, that's pretty cool, you know. Um, but yeah, George is a wild guy. And like I said, I haven't seen him in 30 years. I, you know, probably Nightmare 4. Yeah, Nightmare 4 was the last time I saw George. And that was in 1980. Seven, eight, maybe yeah, or eighty-eight. Yeah. yeah, something like that. That was the last time I saw Screaming Man George. Was yeah, on- she said she still talks to him. So does she? Wow, yeah. holy moly, that's crazy. Wow, well, good honor. Um, and then recently, <laughs> I thought I just saw something like a, on George, and he's like, it, it's just older George. He looks exactly the same because he's all gray, and but still the crazy, you know, crazy <laughs> Screaming Man George shit. So, uh, but you know, I mean, I think. That was the period when George came on the on the on the on the in the world of makeup effects. That's when Steve Wang came on, and Steve was a massive influence to everybody, you know. So he and George worked, you know, kind of fairly close for a long time, I think, and had the same sensibilities. Just Steve was um, certainly more conservative as a human being, you know, and still is. He wasn't all about the crazy show and all that. Um, 
but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting. I mean, there's people in our industry are super colorful and something I find no matter where you are, it could be all over the world. Every department is the same person is the same personality all over the world. The camera department, all the same grips and electric, all the same actors. Yeah. Relatively the same and makeup effects all the same. I can be in Spain. I can be in the Czech Republic. I can be in, you know, Australia, all the makeup effects people are all the same. We're all the same. We're just like the, we all grew up on the, on the Island of misfit toys. You know? <laughs> and, and there's something like off kilter about all of us, but it's really great. It's just kind of like, we're all kind of broken toys, but we're, figuring out how to make it all work. So I like that. Uh, you mentioned him in that previous answer there, Stan Winston. Yes. Now I heard he had such an influence on you. Why he did. was that? Well, Stan had an influence on everybody. Stan was kind of, he was kind of everybody's, he was like the industry's father figure, you know, I felt. And he was always so kind and generous and giving. And, uh, you know, I met Stan when I was 12 years old. I, I hunted him down and, and went to visit his shop um, and he was wonderful and he continued to be wonderful all the way up to his passing in 2008. And um, you know, I, he just, he just was always there for all of us. He treated us like family. Uh, if we ever had any issue, Stan was there to help. If we needed something, Stan was there to help. I remember my very first week working for Stan, I was working on invaders from Mars and aliens and there was something happened with the payroll company and I didn't get my check. And I was like, oh, that's fine. So Stan called me to his office. He's like, listen, they screwed up. I don't have your check this week, but I'll write you a check. And I said, Stan, it's okay. I'm good. I can wait. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, no, no. You know, you, are so, you earned it. You should have a check. And I said, Stan, I'm good. So anyhow, it was so nice for him to offer. In, 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 2000, in uh, 1985, my mom had passed away and I was working for Stan. And Stan, of course, called me and he came over to the house and he, he sat Shiva. And uh, it was just like nobody else would ever have done that. You know, I mean, obviously I had friends that called and, you know, so forth. But here's my boss. Here's a guy who I just looked up to like crazy, Stan Winston. All, you know, I, I still look up to him. And he was just always so kind and there for me. And when I, um, when I ended up winning the Academy Award, I thanked Stan. I thanked Rick Baker, Stan, Richard Taylor you know, people that really inspired me. And, and I talked to Stan the day after and I said, he was like, I just, you know, congratulations. This is so wonderful. And I said, well, Stan, I, I don't know how to thank you. And he said, you did, you thanked me in front of a billion people last night. <laughs> you, you said, thank you, Stan Winston. And he said, he said, that's the best thank you I could ever have. And I was like, well, you know, I, I, I just, I just love Stan and I miss him terribly, you know, and I, and I, I'm good friends with his son, Matt, you know, who's also a nightmare, new nightmare. And Maddie reminds me a lot of Stan and, uh, and looks like Stan. And, and I always feel whenever I, I get to spend time with Matt, like we'll go out to dinner or whatever. I just feel like I get, I've got Stan's spirit there and uh, it makes me feel really, really good. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, he was also responsible for our industry really moving up the ladder. Like, you know, we all started off like in garages wearing like, you know, headbangers, ball t-shirts and long hair and all that shit, you know, rock and roll guys. And then Stan, you know, got a shop. So then we all got shops. And then Stan, instead of having a portfolio, cut a video portfolio. So we all cut video. So Stan really set the bar over and over and over again for everybody in this industry. I mean, I think that's probably why, one of the reasons why Rick Baker went from his garage to getting a shop because he knew probably, he, you know, 
that Rick is amazing. He's I'm a massive idol, you know, uh, I just idolize Rick to no end, but I think he was like, I got to kind of compete with Stan and keep upping and upping and upping and get bigger shops and get bigger shows and all this until I think, you know, Rick just finally said, I'm over this. So, and, and called it a day. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stan set the tone for everything and, and created respect for us on set. You know, I mean, I think about, the, the recent Jurassic Park movies and that Stan, that legacy, who's, which is the company that became, that, that became, or what was Stan Winston Studios became legacy. And it's run by the guys, Shane Mahan and John Rosengrant and, and uh, Alan Scott. And, um, and, um, and anyhow, if Stan was alive, he would have made sure he worked on those movies, you know, on the, on the, the, the current, films which now they just do everything i think in england uh with um uh, great guys you know i mean they're amazing neil scanlon is the genius but i know for a fact stan would have never let that happen he would have called spielberg and's like we are doing all the practical stuff no discussions here no one's doing dinosaurs except us but that was the sort of guy stan was you know he stood up for everybody and and he was a great leader because no matter what he was the guy who either takes takes the fall or takes the fame and that was all good with us. I mean, that's how it should be. You know, when you're a leader, if there's a problem, if somebody screws up, you don't blame the guy that screws up. You take the fall because that person's working underneath your umbrella. You know, so I, I do the same. I learned a lot from Stan and I, I, I model my business strategy and the way my, my brain and heart works after Stan. You know, I learned a lot from him on that level. Well, only got you a couple more minutes, but I wanted to ask, because you brought that up about his son being in the yeah. industry and everything like that. It, do you see that being a generational thing all around? And what do you guys look for at K&B? In terms of in terms newer, newer, younger artists? Well, it's, you know, a lot of the people that work in K&B, I've, I've been working with my entire career, you know, uh, but I do have a couple people that are new, which is good. Like I, there's this one girl named uh, uh, Savannah uh, Suderman, who's really super talented. She's from Canada and she's an amazing sculptor and designer. And she really blew me away. And, and, um, and, you know, I look for people who obviously have talent, but more importantly are really good people. Um, take initiative, uh, have enthusiasm, it's, it's really about having the right attitude. Like I can do a lot with a person who maybe is not the greatest, you know, artist, but could become really fantastic. And, and, um, but their attitude is so great that I, I want to work with them. And then I've had the opposite where I've got amazing artists who are complete assholes and I don't want to work with them. And, and we've, Greg and I have been able to weed those people out through the, through the decades. And it's like, yes, you're a great artist, but you're really not a good person. And, and, and I don't like the vibe. And I just don't feel like, you know, I should have to deal with people like that or anybody that works at the shop deal with that. So, but, but I look for people that are well-rounded. Um, I think there's a, a mistake that people have now, especially coming out of the schools, the makeup schools, where they think that, oh, I'll do this and I'll be a makeup artist. We have enough makeup artists right now. I don't need more makeup artists. There's, there's plenty of them. But I need people that are lab people. I need people that are fabricators, that are mold makers, that can run silicone and latex and polyphones. Those are, those are really important people in our shop and they're dwindling. Like I don't, I'm having a hard time finding people, you know, there's times where we have a lot of stuff coming up and I can't find anybody who do these jobs because everybody wants to be a makeup artist. Everybody wants to go to set. 
and and uh, it's just it's it's kind of what I think is might help make you know create the demise of this industry and shops um, if I, we don't have people that do it. I mean, we're all getting older. I'm 56, and you know a lot of my friends are between 50 and 60, and you know, how much longer are we going to do this? How much longer are we going to go work in a, in a makeup effects shop? You know, we're not kids anymore. And, you know, we get up or our bones hurt <laughs> and our knees hurt, you know, you get tired. Um, you know, you, you, you're looking forward to not having those 4am calls, you know, and get up in, at 4am and go to set and work 18 hours and then get home and go to right to bed. And, you know, there's, you got to have a quality of life. So, but, but yeah, I highly encourage people to learn all facets of, of, makeup effects, not just, Oh, I will do this and I'll go to set. Don't figure out how to do other stuff. You need to know how to do everything and you'll have a longer, uh, life, you know, working in the industry, um, work wise, if you know how to do more things than just a few. Well, you mentioned the Academy award and all that mm -hmm. fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought, and I know it's hard to think about ourselves in this aspect, mm -hmm. but have you ever thought about when people mention your name, 20, 40, 60 years from now, when they say Howard Berger, what, what do you think people will bring up about you? Um, well, I hope that what, what outweighs my achievements in the film industry um, will really be uh, um, more about uh, the type of person I am, you know, uh, uh, more about um, being a good person, giving people opportunity, uh, being fair, um, yeah, you know, and being kind. And, and to me, that's a really, really big thing. You know, I, I think that's super important. And, um, uh, you know, yeah, that outweighs everything for me. I mean, you, you can end up, you can end up, um, uh, you know, winning 20 Academy Awards. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the things you've done to change people's lives that make the difference. You know, I, I don't I don't bask in the glory of of having an Academy Award or, or being this or that or owning my own shop. I, I I take great pride in in being kind and being a good person and and making a difference in people's lives. It's super important to me. So, yeah. Oh, Howard, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hi, I'm Alexandra Paul, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.